This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at Mento LLC. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another great week for the podcast. In the words of the magnificent uh, late 21st century rock band Nickelback, we all want to be rock stars, but in reality, folks, um, very few of us get to be the kind of folks that throw TVs out windows and live our lives, you know, like a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. I'm pretty fortunate that I have uh, a lot of outlets to get to put all of my wild manic ravings out there, whether it's the podcast or trade school, and thank you all for supporting them. But one of the new things that I've gotten to do over the course of the past year is live out my rock star dream with a friend of mine who approached me named Doug Draper. Doug is one of those people that you just keep meeting because the guy's so active. And for me, I kept seeing him in Denver, whether it was at the World Trade Center functions, the World Trade Center being one of the sponsors of this podcast in Denver. And I would uh, run into him all the time. And Doug had a, a couple of podcasts, one called Storytellers, and then, of course, Uptime Logistics. And he'd always say to me, I mean, we got to do something together. We got to do something together. I'd be like, you know, I don't know. What are we going to do? And uh, about a year ago, I jumped on a podcast with him because he called me and he said, Pete, there's this, this flu, this virus coming out of China. You think it's going to affect shipping? And, um, you know, I did my research and lo and behold, it looked like it might. And we ended up in uh, late January, I believe it was, calling the pandemic and calling what would end up happening to global shipping and global trade and really calling an economic downfall because of what would be COVID-19. Um, from there and from the success of that, the two of us said, man, we got to do something together. And we did. And with the help of a great logistics firm called Cap Logistics, we launched a weekly television show called Global Trade This Week. And it's on YouTube and it's on LinkedIn. It's on the Cap Logistics stream on their website. And Global Trade This Week, we decided we weren't going to talk about what happened. We were going to talk about topics and trade and what we think was going to happen. And that was the point of the show. We were going we to put our reputations on the line, and we were going to be forward-thinking about what was going to happen next. And Doug pushed me to do it. And at first, I wasn't sure I wanted to, but Doug's a rock star. Doug is the kind of rock star that pushes you to do things that are out of your comfort zone because the man's an artist. And uh, fortunately for me, he never stopped pushing. We got a great group of people behind us. And we made it a hell of a product, and I'm really proud of it. We do it live every week now, and it's getting a following, and I really enjoy doing it. But more importantly, I enjoy working with Doug. The guy's seen so much. We're practically the same age. But he's done something I've never been able to do, which is build a following with people by working so closely with them um, in one particular place. But at the same time, the, the, guys, the guys just never stopped beating on those doors and building those relationships. He's sincere. He's a good man in an industry full of people that don't necessarily have them in sales. 
And uh, I'm really excited to get to bring that content to you every week. But I'm also really excited to work with a guy and, and to call him my friend. You're really, really going to enjoy this podcast, especially those of you who've always wondered how someone develops a job in sales. So without further ado, uh, my good friend and my co-host of Global Trade this week, here's the podcast on Trade Geek with Doug Draper. Enjoy. All right, well, this should be the easiest recording that I ever do for the Trade Key podcast because I record every week with this guy. So I'm uh, excited to have Doug Draper on with me this week. For those of you who don't know, and I don't know how you wouldn't know, every week, Doug and I record a, a live show that ends up online in a number of different platforms called Global Trade This Week. And Global Trade This Week is a... Uh, well, to, to me, at least, it's fascinating. It's yeah. a talk show between two guys with very different, I guess, I guess different um, professional backgrounds um, and, and at times differing opinions where we take a couple of topics each and we discuss what we think will happen. We don't waste time on what did happen. We, we try to look into the future. Creepy, creepy, creepy. And a very cool business called Caplogistics. Um, puts it on for us, pays for it. I don't know why. I don't know what they're thinking, mm -hmm. but they uh, John sinks his money into it, and then a a, uh, a a Volkswagen bus full of fourteen year olds with long hair and beards that I'm I'm sure smells like granola, petroleum oil, and um, and hair oil produces all of it and puts up with my endless abuse. <laughs> And um, Doug is a very patient, very understanding um, foil to all of my horrible jokes every week on Global Trade This Week. And I met Doug um, through a, a mutual friend and endless interaction, two mutual friends actually. So my friend Mark Saxelby, who I worked with at Expediters and at C.H. Robinson and at Crane. We follow each other everywhere, it seems. And then also Karen Gerwitz at the... Um, um, global um yeah the world trade center denver. in denver and she kept introducing the two of us and said you guys have got so much in common you got to work together you got to work together and we're like well we don't know how we can work together and um eventually this idea of a of a live tv show came up and the more doug and i talked we're like we're a pretty good team for something like this and i don't know how many shows we've done now um but yeah i don't yeah, I, I say we're in our second season because that sounds pretty uh, pretty legit, you know, like we have yeah. some some legs. But, I, you know, it's not as many as we thought, maybe uh, a little north of 10. But, you know, we've both been doing the podcast gig for, for a you know, couple of years. I should yeah. mention that. Doug has his own podcast. It's kick-ass. It's called Uptime Logistics. And uh, is that weekly that you do Uptime Logistics? You know, we try to get it out uh, twice a month. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's the the cap folks help support that as well. So uh, yeah, twice twice a month yeah. is what and we have. It, so. It's always very good content, and I think what I I like about your podcast it's guest driven and it is not as um, oh gosh, how do I put this? It's not as ego driven as mine. How about that? Yeah, yeah. So there isn't a picture of of Doug Draper in a suit holding the globe up like mine. Uh, clearly it is not the, the world does not revolve around around doug you have a yeah. you're you're very cool to put up with all of my crap in our yes. show man well it's it's the yin to the yang right that's what makes the uh the the partnership work 
the teamwork makes the dream work. My yeah. Friend. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm real fired up to have you on today because every week we talk for an hour, we talk about all kinds of things, but we never talk about you. And I, um, I spend a lot of time in the Denver area. Everywhere I go, you're there. If I go to a World Trade Center event, you're there. If I go to AI event, you're there. CSCMP, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there. You are like a bad penny, bro. Um, you are a heads up in every parking lot. So how did you end up in that market? How did you end up in this business? How did you end up working in global logistics? What is the origin story for the superhero that is Doug Draper, my friend? Yeah. Huh. Superhero, uh, that's pretty much a stretch, uh, and, uh, but I appreciate the, the comment. And thanks for having me on your show, man. This is, this is cool. You don't get... You talk about the industry, not yourself very often, and everybody likes to talk about themselves. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, so here's the story, right? I've done logistics in Denver my whole life and, and here's how I got into it. Um, moved to Denver. So I had this job where I did some consulting and traveled around the country. Well, well where did you grow up? Where, where does this all start? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we'll start from the beginning. So I grew up in a handful of different uh, different cities, but most of it was in Wichita, Kansas. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, a Kansas boy. I went to Univer University of Kansas, so I'm a Jayhawk, and um, graduated with a psychology degree because that was pretty easy, and I had no effing clue what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, and yeah, I paid for my own college, so I knew I could get out four years, psychology, I'm out of there, I can check that box and move on with my life. Um, so anyway, when I, I was really involved with my college fraternity, and people have different perspectives on fraternities in the Greek life, but I learned quite a bit uh, about it. So my two years after, after college, I traveled the country as a consultant, um, and basically I visited, here's the cool thing, I visited 80 college campuses across the country, huge schools from Michigan to Ohio State down to Hanover College and, and Wabash, these small schools you've never even heard of, um, and would walk into these, these rooms and have to put on presentations and talk to adults and put out fires and, and everything. So the, the street smarts I gained from that was, was, uh, was amazing. So when it was all over, uh, in all of my travels, you know, I visited the whole country, I said, I'm gonna move to LA, Denver, or Seattle. Okay. Um, and why and those three cities? What was it about those three that got your attention? I think it was just the West Coast draw. You know, it was it was different. Uh, you know, Kansas, Kansas City. You know, they're 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 fine places, but you know, Denver and and L.A. Because I had never been out there, and I'd spend a month in Southern California visiting all these amazing schools. Um, so anyway, I I picked Denver because I had a high school or excuse me, a college buddy that lived out here. And, and this is when it gets fun. He said he was married at the time. He got married really young. So we said, all right, hey man, you can live here for free for one month. You have to pay rent for one month. And then you got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I, you know, being 25 years old, I'm like, that gives me 60 days to get yeah. my act together. Yeah. Um, and I did. I worked at a liquor store at night. It had its own perks. And um, I had three suits and I interviewed as much as I could. It was a little bit different back in the mid 90s doing interviews, you know, it was a little bit more formal. And I came across this company that was called Airborne Express, which was based in Seattle. It was a small parcel carrier. Some people may have heard of it. You know, some people may not have. They were 
yeah, ultimately acquired by DHL. Uh, just doing sales and, and things of that nature. And, and and I did that for about, I don't know, eight or nine years. Now, hold on. Yeah. Okay. So you were a, a kid salesman. How old are you? Like 23? Uh, I started when I was 25. Okay. Didn't know 20, it. 25 Didn't know year old, little, little Dougie Draper, 25 years old in his suit, selling for an express air freight company in Colorado. Yeah. And what sort of businesses were you calling on? What kind of product were you selling? Uh, so calling on every business that, uh, that had a pulse and was primarily, you know, parcel services, okay. you know, and, and not to get down a wormhole, but, but Airborne's niche, first of all, phenomenal company. I've learned so much from those guys. I loved working there. We were the underdog FedEx, UPS, and, and then Airborne was, was number three. So you had to be scrappy. You had to have a sense of urgency and you had to get out there and hustle. Um, and so, um, uh, small parcel, air freight was really primarily. But Pete, here, here's the cool that people would think this is crazy nowadays. They would literally come in the office at 7 a.m. and say, okay, go out and cold call all day. And you're knocking on doors and collect business cards. We'd come back at four and the sales manager would say, let me see your cards. And he would sit there and he'd go through them and he goes, wrong decision maker, wrong person, wrong person. I want a meeting with this guy next week. This is good. This is good. All right. See you tomorrow at 7 a.m. And it was a grind. But at 25, I didn't know. I just figured that's how the business world worked. Yeah. Yeah. So did they, did they give you a car? Did they pay? What did they pay you? Um, I don't They gave us a car, right? Um, and uh, I don't remember what I got paid, but there's a little bit of commission and, and, uh, and everything. But yeah, man, they, they uh, took care of hungry aggressive sense of urgency people out there because uh, Airborne needed to keep as much business as we possibly could and, and keep moving forward to compete with the monsters. So I learned so much about interacting with people and how do you, uh, you know, walk, how do you cold call, you know, people that don't want you in their building? You know, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, of science with that. So that's how I got started. And then, um, you know, uh, I left right before they were acquired and then worked for some smaller freight forwarding companies. But the cool thing about that is, you know, I learned the parcel business and then all of a sudden I jump into the forwarding, which is international ocean freight, air freight. Um, and that was awesome. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an expediters or CH Robinson. It was kind of a smaller group here, but you know, that's all relationships. Everybody's using kind of the same pickup and delivery companies. They're using your booking space on the same yeah. vessels and air freight. So uh, it's all about relationships. And so that's kind of when I took it to the next level with, you know, if you just respond, somebody and, and give them an answer and don't bullshit them they're going to have respect for you people can handle bad news if you don't try to hide it you just explain what's going on are they going to be mad probably a little bit are they going to probably snap at you that's human nature but the bottom line is they're going to respect the honesty of what's going on and what's your plan to fix it if you have those two things in life forget about ltl or, 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 or freight forwarding if you take that approach in life um you're, you're gonna um do pretty well. So my, my grandfather always said that bad news was best delivered by either uh, a good looking person or a clown. And he said, and you don't look very handsome, so you better get money. <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree with you there. So it was always sales. It was that was always the place that you were. That's what drove you. That's what got you excited was working in sales. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I made a comment on one of our one of our shows once about asking for forgiveness, not permission. Right. Um, crazy. 
Yeah, you could ask for a lot of forgiveness in sales. You can't ask for a lot of forgiveness when you're when you're in operations. And yeah, you know, like being out, you know, sales in 2021 is a little bit different than the late 90s. But being out of the office, and knocking on doors, and talking to people, and learning, yeah, um, you know, about all kinds of businesses. I, I tell my wife, whether I was at Airborne or freight forwarding, or my current position is, um, you know, working for Acme Distribution here in Denver and warehousing. I'm phenomenal at uh, cocktail parties because I know a little bit about a lot of shit. You know, you could talk about medical building. I mean, you name it. I, I could have a comment on it and understand enough that I can walk out of the room and not look like a fool. Sure. And and, and that's cool, man. That that uh, I, I really enjoy it. That kind of gets me excited. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, I, I live most of my my younger years out in Texas where it's, it's like Kansas, it's flat as hell. And then you moved to Colorado, man. That yeah. had to be, first of all, a revelation. I mean, you get up every day. I know when I come out there, I'm always, for a minute or two, I look out a window or I get in a car and I see those mountains and my heart stops for a second. Mm -hmm. that, I, I, do you ever get sick of it? Does it ever, does it ever not, is it ever not cool? No, you know, the only thing I get sick of is the uh, I-70 traffic up into the mountains on a, Friday afternoon or evening and a Sunday afternoon or evening. But, but, but to your point, I mean, even this day, so I've been here for 25 years and you can wake up on a, a winter's day and look to the West where the mountains are and the sky is absolutely blue, just so blue you can't imagine it. And it's just contrasted with amazing snow-capped mountains and they they look so big and, and yeah, you know, you made fun of me of being present with some of my new year's resolutions, but <laughs> You know, this the the work life balance out here is phenomenal. You know, I don't think I'll ever move. And and I was even talking to somebody. I'm like, you could offer me twenty five thousand dollars more a year for salary, and I'm not going to take it. I mean, there's too many other things in life that are important, and you can get a lot of that stuff here in Colorado. Absolutely love it. Best decision I made as far as uh, living moving forward. I've been very vocal that it's one of my favorite places in America, um, mostly because of the diversity culturally. You can go from I mean, straight up cowboys right in parts of it and I, when i say cowboys like i grew up around cowboys cowboys dudes on horses rustling cattle to you know in pueblo you have two native americans still living on the reservation to barefoot people smoking weed and call it boulder to um, people building rockets going to mars and yeah. the most highest technology smartest people on the planet and everything in between and then also um you know colorado has an amazing entertainment scene, everything you'd ever want to do outside, but it's missing the one thing I need. I need an ocean. Yeah. My body doesn't feel right if I'm not close to a body of salt water. Something just, it's not right with me. So um, I'm the kind of dude where if you put me too much altitude, I pass out because I'm, I'm a powerfully built man. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I the, wa the, the water is sparse out here. It's dry. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's dry, but you're right. There's no lakes. People have boats here and they go up. I'm like, why the hell would you go to a lake at 8,000, 9,000 feet that's cold as hell and try to water ski? I mean, forget that. That's crazy. So to your point, there's not a lot of water or water sports around here, maybe some fishing, but uh, that's the one thing that is missing. Yeah, it's tough. So every, every week you and I um, come up with a couple of topics. You kindly send them to me and about 10% of the time I send mine to you. And we, um, now we're going to be live. That's going to be crazy. Yeah, you and I are going to be doing this live. 
which I'm sure is going to be an absolute goat rodeo. Um, but we, we, we do these topics where um, I, I say something, you say something, and then we both uh, talk about those topics. What, what, gets you, what gets you excited? How do you decide what you want to talk about every week? How do, you, how do you come up with what you want to discuss? Because when I do get insights from people about the show, they always say, where do you two idiots come up with this stuff? Mm-hmm. Where do you find this crap? Yeah, so that's a good question. A couple different different ways, right? So if you walk into my email in the mornings, there's probably 15 emails of industry rags that are sending, uh, you know, here's the latest and greatest. So that sparked my my attention, my interest, uh, and I may dive in, you know, a little bit more on on those um, kind of experiences. I know I've talked a lot about um, returns and the dispersion of logistics and how. The average Joe's like you and I are going to get more engaged in, in final mile type of deliveries. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, personal experiences, uh, you know, porch pirates and, and the fact that everybody in there, I mean, you walk down the street and you got every one of my neighbors has something on their porch every day. Right. Um, yeah. So I guess it's just staying up on what's going on in the industry and it could be, you know, the industry as a whole, it could be manufacturing, it could be, you know, ground transportation, ocean, air, you know, and then in that story, you try to find something original and something I could play off of it. So the point is not just to regurgitate what's out there. It's to say, hey, that's pretty cool. What does that mean in the future? And the fact that it's our show, we can say whatever we want. This is how I as an individual feel that this bit of information is going to change in 2021 or 2022. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of where, where they come from. Personal experiences as I engage with logistics and supply chain as a person and then you know just staying on top of what's going on in the industry so many people are afraid to be wrong they're they're afraid to raise their hand and say here's what i think here's what i think is going to happen here's what i think is going to happen next and um we sure aren't (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh you know and how some of it there's some truth to some of it and some of it's like that guy missed it off the mark you know but at least at least you're pro, you know, providing a perspective uh, of, of how things go. There's so many Monday morning quarterback kind of commentary out there that you know, they all kind of talk about the same thing. So yeah, that's the forward aspect of our show, which I like. We did get one thing right, which I think is worth mentioning around, um, I guess it was a little later than now, but around this time last year, we, we did call COVID and say that it was going to have a significant impact on supply chains in the global economy. And if you go back on YouTube and some other places, there are comments saying that we were out of our minds and didn't know what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny you bring that up is that um, that's one of the, the shows I'm most proud of because it exemplifies exactly what, what our show is about. And where did that story come from? I was at a trade show here in Denver, walking the floor, meeting customers. It was an outdoor, it's called the Outdoor Retailer Show. I was walking around and I was talking to a, a friend who happened to be a customer. He's like, and it literally was about this time. It was the end of January. He's like, yeah, man, my spring line is going to be delayed because my factories can't get raw materials because there's this virus or something going on that's fucking everything up. And then we have Chinese New Year that's going to pop up and it's going to be, you know, be terrible. And I'm like, well, I've never even heard of this virus. What are you talking about this virus? And he kind of explained it. You know, it wasn't the COVID. It wasn't COVID virus. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the name, but I didn't know what it was. I did some research, you know, and I'm like, holy shit, this could be big. And then I called you literally from the car in the parking lot. I'm like, Pete, 
what's the deal with this? We got, you know, who can talk about this that has some expertise? And you're like, you're talking to him, my friend. So we got you on. I mean, that's where, that's where the idea came from. And we simply said, how is this going to impact supply chain? And I mean, I've been asked before, what's the best show you've ever done? That one by far. And it's gotten a lot of hits and, and it was cool. We, we called it. We, we, we you know, it was great. And people thought we were nuts. I, I remember people saying, oh, come on now, this, this isn't that big a deal. And I said, no, if you look at the swine flu epidemic, if you look at things that weren't nearly as big a deal, that they had disruptions. I don't think we, we understood just how bad it was going to be, but we did say that it was going to have an impact. A few weeks later, I gave um, another speech live and I said to people, you need to watch this podcast I did with Doug. And then I gave my last speech in early March at the... Um, South Carolina Automotive Conference. And I told everybody, you need to get home and lock it down. It's about to go up against the fan. And people laughed at me. And mm -hmm. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to speak of that thing again this year. But like, who's laughing now? Yeah. Um, but th that was it was one of those moments where if you're wrong half the time, but you're right like that, one of those five times, I think people pay attention. Yeah. So that, that was an amazing opportunity um, that you gave me. That was a heck of a show that we had. Yeah. Yeah. The one comment that resonates, I remember you saying, you you know, I think literally the last thing you said on the podcast is my advice to you out there is you better have a plan B. Yep. And no one did. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then we ended up coming up with plan B's when plan A burned to the ground and nobody wanted to hear about it. And, and you know, that resiliency in the supply chain, we've talked about that a million times. At what point are people just going to finally get it? We talked about Brexit. How much mm -hmm. I'm giving, I'm doing trade school tomorrow on you know trade school now what man i'm reading stuff about how many more times do people have to did people have to say to folks pay attention to brexit pay attention to brexit first show of the year you did it with ian was about brexit half the things you guys talked about happened they happened mm -hmm. and uh when we talked to ian the first time all those things happened it's like no one paid attention nobody nobody paid attention and this information was coming from every single angle at some point people need to be held accountable for not paying attention to someone screaming through the British are coming or the sky is falling or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, you gotta be held accountable for not paying attention to what was coming down the pike. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, you know, you, you're, you're dealing with clients every day. Um, what do you think are the topics that resonate with them right now? What do they wanna learn about? What do they wanna hear about? Um, that's a good, that's a good, uh, good question. You know, I think we spoke a little bit about how does, you know, everybody talks about technology and, and what's going on and how that is going to impact my world. Um, not my world, my customer's world, depending on the technology, it, it has variation, but, you know, the concept of big data mm -hmm. and how we can utilize that to make, to make decisions, um, I think is very important. And people kind of understand that now. The challenge about that is that to share big data and have data have um, meaningful impact, you have to share data because you can't say here's my data you have to have here's our data right. the concept of sharing in the logistics industry as a service provider is a very foreign concept you know i don't want to tell you what my secret sauce is or my customer is going to go away to make the right decisions for a service provider like i've been my whole life to really take it to the next level you have to have that cooperative sharing of data and and i think that the younger generation you know, um, I hate to say that because that would mean that hey, I'm, I'm getting Get old. off my lawn! Yes, yeah. trust me, I've said that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they're more more responsive to say the you know the the good of the order 
and, and the, the, the whole, let's, let's share to make everybody move forward. That concept I think is more embraced with some of the younger logisticians that are coming out of, out of, out of school. And then, so I guess the, you know, how does technology impact, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and then, you know, rates are always a big deal. I think that's just, you know, what's it gonna cost me to do this? What's it gonna cost me to do that? Cost of goods sold. I think that, you know, that's, you could ask me that in the 1980s and it would have been the same thing. So I think that that is, is never gonna go away. Um, so those would be kind of the two, two things I see and, and hear about most, most often. Let me take it back to young people into sales. Um, when, when I was a young guy, they looked at me and they're like, uh, put this nerd with the rest of the trolls and brokerage, right? And operations and go cut airway bills, you, you know, put them back there. Um, sales to me was for the personable, the aggressive, you're in front of people all day long. And one of the, I don't think it's necessarily deserved, but one of the, one of the hits against the younger folks coming out of college they're not real comfortable face-to-face. -face. They lack sort of those essential communication skills that we got. If, if I, and as I told you before we started, a lot of the listeners here are young people who are getting into this industry. Talk to me about the kind of skills that you think they need to develop to be successful if they want to sell in the transportation logistics, international logistics field. If you had 21, 22-year-old young man or young, young woman coming in, working with you, you're mentoring them. What are some of the things that maybe they're not going to get from the employee manual? You think mm -hmm. they could probably learn? Yeah. Um, I guess I frame that as uh, book smarts and street smarts, right? Um, and the way you get street smarts is just to jump in and do it. And, and you're, you're going to make, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, there's going to be problems, but sitting in an office with your do door closed and looking at a computer, um, and trying to do the best you can. Yeah, you'll do okay, but fast forward five, 10, 15 years, you're gonna be in that desk looking at that computer doing the same thing. You know, there's gotta be a little initiative to get out there and do something different. And so um, I guess the people skill aspect of it, and you don't have to be in sales to have that. You can do that in any, any job that you want, but get out behind your desk, take a risk and try something. That in and of itself is gonna give you a sense of confidence and a comfort level so if you walk into a shit storm, you're not going to freak out and, and whatever. People just want to make sure that the situation is under control, you know what's going on, and you have a plan. And you know what's going on may not be a fact, but as long as they feel comfortable that you have confidence, that you can say, everything will be okay, Pete. I get it. We're kind of in a shit storm right now. I'm going to sit down with my team. We're going to do this. We're going to do this, and I'm going to get back to you. So the interpersonal skills, and maybe that's just from the sales aspect of it, but you're not going to get that taught in, in school. No. And you're not going to get it sitting behind a desk learning the stuff you learned in school. You got to get out there, you know. And yet the other thing, you, you made a comment earlier is that whatever industry you're in, doesn't matter if it's logistics or whatever, engage in the peripherals of that industry in your market. Go to the events. Um, volunteer, raise your hand. You're going to meet so many people, you're going to network. I, I can't imagine, or I can't think of how many new business opportunities I had that had nothing to do with me doing the traditional sales. It's just people like you, you know, that we've met in different environments and scenarios where you can be engaging as a person. People buy stuff because they like people. 
right? You can talk about all the fancy stuff and my widget does this and your widget does that, which is important, It is right? But people are going to listen to you and, and, and be genuine and you're going to have more success if you're engaging as a human and you got to get out behind your desk to do that. So I would say focus on the street smarts aspect of whatever business you're getting into. And if you want me to help you figure out what that street smarts is, uh, you know, they can reach out to me and I'll, I'll do the best I can. Sure. Yeah, I, I um, when I started selling, well, first of all, it was a disaster. God, because, you know, I'm a logic driven guy. Everything I do, my, my, um, my ex-girlfriend used to say that I was as spontaneous as a shuttle launch. You know, everything has a process and I audit it all. So next time it's perfect. And um, I remember having a, one of my first customers call me and just tear my head off because something went wrong. And I said to them, I wasn't involved in the export on the other side. What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. I'll call and I'll see what I can do, but I don't know why you're personally screaming at me. That was, um, that was first of all, a very bad decision. And second of all, really not the right response. Yeah. I was in my early 20s. Um, not, not, you know, anybody who knew me in my early 20s would tell you I didn't make real good decisions back then. Anyway, the yeah. sales manager at the time um, took me out to lunch and we sat down and lunch came and it was wonderful. Little Italian place in East Boston. And he said, hey, Pete, if the lunch hadn't have been good, would I have asked to talk to the chef the, in the kitchen about it? Or I would I've, would I've told the waiter that the lunch wasn't good. I said, well, you would have told the waiter, exactly. And would, would he have said, well, let's go talk to the chef together? Would we have all gotten up and walked over to the kitchen? No, you moron. And it was the same thing that happened today in the office. By the way, our ex-customer called me to tell me all about what happened today. And, mm-hmm. and here's a very valuable lesson. Think of our industry no different than a restaurant. You're facing the customer, you're the waiter. You might not make the dishes, but as far as that customer's concerned, all you are is, is a waiter, man. You're, you're the face. You don't actually do a damn thing. You're not the magician in the back of that kitchen making everything. But as far as they're concerned, you are the restaurant. So get it through your thick skull. Happens a second time, you're fired. You'll never work in the city again. Yeah. yeah. And, and those kind of conversations, I don't know if they happen anymore, man. I think someone's yeah. dad would probably call me for threatening their little snowflake if I had a conversation like that. Right? Yeah. Well, what happens is it goes on email and it goes back and forth for 20 minutes and then people <laughs> misinterpret emails and periods and exclamation points. And it's, it's worse. You know, I tell my kids, just pick up the phone. Literally they're texting with their friends and like, so, you know, back and forth and back, I'm like, just call them. And this text message chain can, can be over in like five seconds. Yeah. Right? Just pick up the phone and talk to them. Um, but anyway, to, to, to your point, you know, just don't be afraid to engage a bad situation. As long as there's a sense of confidence, you empathize with their situation and you make a genuine effort to fix the problem, people are going to be receptive to you, respect you and want to buy from you again yeah. or engage in your company again. Yeah, you, you have a similar um, personality trait to my friend Ryan McGuire, who I hope to get on the podcast someday and that you're sincere. You're sincere people. If you tell me something, I believe you. And I, I don't think you're trying, I mean, you're honest. And if you call someone and say, we did our best and we failed and we won't, you know, you're sincere about it. You're not trying to pull it over on people. And that's rare in a salesperson. Yeah. Um, you're not Herb Tarlick on WKRP. You know? <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's um, in this industry back in the eighties, especially, I think we all worked with that dude. So, and in the yeah. 90s. so it's, it's a rare thing to see. 
All right. Well, we're getting to the end of the podcast. I ask every guest three questions that have nothing to do with logistics. It is a personal favorite of mine as we are trying to get to the heart of the people on the show. So question number one, first car that you ever had, what was it? How'd you get it? What happened to it? First car was a 19, so 1973 convertible bug. It was oh, red. Yes. Red with a black top. Wichita, Kansas, you know, that kind of didn't fit in a whole lot. There are a lot of trucks and fast cars in Wichita, but here's this kid. And believe it or not, I had a ponytail and an earring when I was uh, right, right out. So I thought I was pretty cool, right? So here's this kid from Wichita, Kansas, zipping around in a, in a red convertible uh, uh, VW Bug. I bought it for like 3,500 bucks and I sold it for $4,200. So I was like, I thought cars were supposed to depreciate, but huh. I kept it in great shape and you know, it was a unique car and, and everything else. So I actually made, made money on it, which is very unusual. What's that? How long did you have it? Uh, maybe three years. Wow. Yeah. And my first car was a 74 Volkswagen thing. You remember those? <laughs> yeah. The ugliest sin. Hideous. Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. no sticking around in that car, but that's uh, a state that's a statement car for sure. Yeah, the statement car was I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever see a girl naked. That's what the statement of that car. <laughs> but I love that car. Um, so we were both Volkswagen guys. Yours was cooler than mine. Question number two: the first job you had that paid you an actual paycheck. What was it? And do you remember what your hourly rate was? Mm. You know, I don't remember the hourly wage, but um, I was a big swimmer growing up. That was my sport. And it was teaching swim lessons when I was like 15 or 16 years old at the, the, the city pool, right? And the city pool was pretty much daycare for <laughs> folks that didn't, you know, didn't have a babysitter. There would just, you'd see the same kids over and over and over and over again. Oh my God. But Again, they'd be like, do you want to do lessons? I'm like, yep, I certainly do. Um, have you ever taught them? Nope, but I'm a swimmer and I can figure it out. And I jumped in the pool and, and just, just winged it, you know? Nobody, nobody drowned, so I guess I was somewhat successful. But, um, you know, I, I truly don't remember what the paycheck was, but it was probably minuscule. I mean, what are they going to pay a 16-year-old kid teaching five-year-olds five how to swim, you know? How many a dollar, an hour, I don't know. <laughs> How many, how many kids did you yank out of the water from drowning? Um, I don't know, three or four, you know, um, there, there was, there was one and I, it was my best friend. We worked at the same pool and it was, it was, you know, a city pool and these kids just got dropped off. It was daycare. And this one kid, I knew he didn't know how to swim and he went on the diving board and he was being, you know, heckled and encouraged by his friends. And I remember looking over at the pool over here and I'm like, Craig, I'm going in. Like this guy's on the diving board. I know he doesn't know how to swim. I get ready, dives in, goes straight to the bottom. Doesn't kind of dive in and, and, uh, and save him. So for some reason that one sticks in my mind. Um, but you know, a couple here and there, but uh, so I guess three, let's, let's chalk it up as three. So I've saved three lives in my life. Pete, how many have you saved? Absolutely none. <laughs> I don't think I've even saved my own. But so, so your, your first summer job was working on your tan, hanging out at the public pool. I think that's a lot cooler than most people's that have been on Yeah, the yeah. And I, I had sold the car because I needed to pay, to pay for school. So I rode my bike every day. So I rode, I don't know, 15 miles to the pool. So I had my long hair and my ponytail. And I thought I was pretty, I thought I was pretty cool shit, Pete. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. You probably were, man. All right. So number three, um, imagine that the laws of physics and time and the universe do not exist and that your friend Uncle Pete has a magic wand and that I can wave it and I can make you, um, I can change the physical properties of you or whatever, and you can have any job, any career that you have ever desired. What would it be? All right. So um, this is going to sound super cliche. I'll answer it two ways, right? I'll, I'll answer your question twice. The, the honest answer is a rock star. Nice. Um, you know, I was big, not necessarily heavy metal, but, you know, that was my rock was my thing. And I don't know, being on stage, right? I mean, I'm a pretty reserved guy, right? You know, but being on stage and having this people just watch your every single move and be able to control it and have fun and do that multiple times a week or every single night and, and the lifestyle perceived or real seems pretty fun, you know? I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's not fun and you hear stories about people getting burnt out and people that have just gone off the deep end, but so are we I talking think that about would be- lead singer do you want to be one of the guys in the instruments i mean no i'm up front man i i'm i'm lead singer i don't even care if i play an instrument and if i sing okay that's all that matters because in rock and roll you know you can you can wing it but uh yeah i that that's it and then i guess yeah now that that's behind me right and that that's not going to happen um no that's i told you you can do whatever you want but what was your what was your other one no i think it's just uh, motivational speaker to some degree, you know, talking up, talking to people, you know, it's, I think if you get to the, uh, the heart of the matter and get in front of a group of people and have them just think for a minute and, and stop, it's, uh, it'd be fun. I guess being in front of a crowd and, and impacting them in some way would be uh, very satisfying and enjoyable for me. My name is Matt Foley. I am a motivational <laughs> speaker. Let me get back to the rock star thing. Okay, so yeah. you got to pick an era now because we're going to spend a minute on this before I leave. Uh, you got to pick an era that you're a rock star. So are we talking 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s? Pick an era. All right, give me an era. Yeah, uh, late 80s. Late 80s. So we're t- are we talking hair bands like Poison? Yeah. Are we talking more like Metallica? Wh- where are we going with this? Yeah, maybe maybe a little of both, but I'd say hair band. I mean, my Pete, my favorite band of all time. I literally can sing every single song, even though I haven't heard them in forever. Is Van Halen, and it's David Lee Roth, Van Halen. Don't I like Sammy Hagar, but don't I'm not worried about that. David Lee Roth, Van Halen, the backlit light, standing up, dropping the last note of a song, pan to the crowd. They're going ape shit, and okay. you just. You just made their night, right? And you do a couple of air kicks and you flip your, your hair back and oh, yeah. are you kidding me? So, so <laughs> Doug, go. Doug's got um, like mid back length hair, um, probably some leather trousers and um, maybe some maybe some makeup just because of the lighting. Yeah. And you are wailing to arena crowds of just adoring fans going from city to city on a jet. And then, you know, uh, cares to the wind, life be what it may. Just let the manager figure the money out. Yeah, you're not, you're not you're not here for for a long time. Just a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's I right. Like that I kind of yes, like that. that's exactly. I mean, you just summed it up in a heartbeat, right? And and I'd burn out. There'd be some crazy story that would end my career, and people be like, "Whatever happened to that guy?" Right? <laughs> and you're like, I, I don't know. He made a he made a pretty bad decision. 
and he's either no longer alive or doing something totally different. But uh, when COVID's over with, we have to do one of those VH1. Yeah. Um, what were those things called? Uh, the VH1 when they did the behind the behind the behind music, the scenes or behind the music behind the music, <laughs> music VH1 Doug Draper. Yeah, we're gonna do like you with the hair and the whole bit, and we're gonna we're gonna have um, all the guys at Cap Logistics because you know they would love that. Yes, yeah, of that. And then I'll be like your your crazy drunk coke addled manager that had to get you up on stage, and I'll do an English accent. You know, we couldn't keep Doug going from night to night, so we had to get him on cocaine, and we'll we'll just do the whole bit. It'll be absolutely awesome. Um, we just can't yeah. let the employer see it ever. That's yes, I mean you you're painting the picture as exactly as I envision it. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> you're living off Jack Daniels and cocaine. Did you know that uh, Sammy Hagar's nephew Robbie um, works in our industry? Yeah, I think I heard that from you, right? So yeah, I think I did. I, I, uh, yeah, I did know that. And Robbie is a cool dude, man. He is a cool guy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Doug, I could talk to you all day, but as I told you, there's a limit to how many minutes before people just stop listening. Buddy. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I love that you came on. You're a, a great guy. And thank you for putting up with my endless prattlings. And yeah. um, everybody listen to uh, Uptime Logistics with Doug Draper, brought to you by Cap Logistics. Thank you to Cap Logistics for supporting the things that we do. And yeah. um, please watch us every week on Global Trade This Week, coming to you live now, which yeah. is shocking. What day is it going to be on now? Mondays? Yeah, it's, it's, it used to be mo Tape Mondays, Show Thursday. Now we're just letting it ride like a rock star, man. We're getting on stage yeah. and we're just going to roll with it. Oh, this now, is we'll, so we'll see scary. what happens. And then, of course, we'll be able to watch the recordings. Um, yeah. But yeah, for sure. Watch it live and watch us screw up. Um, that'll be live and we'll get better as it goes along. But um, thank you so much for taking time and can't wait to record you next week. Absolutely, Pete. It's an honor to be on your show. I appreciate you reaching out. Thanks, man. I'll see you next week. See you, Doug. All right. All right. Take care.